I had my children on the floor. I was on my favorite blanket that my grandmother gave me on the floor like a cat. And I realized in that moment the potential of what our bodies can really do as women. Like I could feel his head, I could do my own internal, like yeah, his head, I could feel it. I was in tears, I was just in tears and overwhelmed with gratitude. Hi and welcome to the Natural Birth Podcast, the podcast that is bringing embodied birth wisdom from women from all over the world sharing their natural birth stories. Don't forget to subscribe and download so that you can always have access to these empowering and positive natural birth stories. Hi, my name is Anna and I am the Natural Birth Podcast host. I'm a former midwife turned midwitch and I now work with women worldwide assisting them in having an empowering and natural birth experience and to truly claim their birth as a rite of passage. I offer one-on-one -on -one sessions and packages and online courses for conscious mamas who don't want to leave their birth up to chance. I also mentor current and aspiring birth workers in my Sacred Birth Worker Mentorship Program. If you want to know more about me and what I do in the world, then please visit me at the Natural Birth Course com or connect with me on instagram as the natural birth podcast now if you love this podcast then please consider taking a moment right now and leave a review they mean the world to me and is also your way of helping me reach more women around the world with these natural and empowering birth stories together we are changing the birth narrative one birth story at a time Today on the Natural Birth Podcast, we have Fiona. Fiona is an actor and a mama of two from the UK. Today, we will hear about how she had her daughter at home in a birth pool as her son slept upstairs. It was calm, beautiful, and even pleasurable. Her baby girl was born in call, which is when the amniotic sac is intact and has been believed throughout the ages to be a sign of luck. And her daughter also had a true knot on her umbilical cord, something that is feared around the world, but most of the time is totally fine. She had a doula and an NHS midwife, as well as her husband with her during her labor and birth. And this birth was the complete opposite to when she had her first born, her son, in the height of COVID, where they threatened her with induction and where she ended up having loads of interventions like forceps and an episiotomy, even though she'd wanted as natural of a birth as possible. This birth was her magical redemption. Curious about Fiona? Find her on Instagram as Fiona Hampton. I feel like I have entered this beautiful community of women that holds so much magic in the way that we share things with each other. 
and in the way that we support each other. And I can feel how I am really learning to be with women in this really deep and, and profound way as an embodied woman. Yeah, I really love this. I love this. Thank you, Anna. Thank you for creating this. I love this. That was one of my beautiful mentees in the Sacred Birth Worker Mentorship. Another mentorship round is about to start now in January 2024. Are you curious about holding sacred space for birth? Maybe you are a birth nerd, a natural birthing mama, or already a birth worker who wants to deepen your knowledge in sacred space holding for natural, physiological, and spiritual birth. Then you should consider the Sacred Birth Worker Mentorship with me. The enrollment for January is now open for applications and there are 6-month and 12-month payment plans available as well as a scholarship option for those of you who are low-income earners, students or unemployed for example. I don't want finances to stand in your way of following your passion in becoming a sacred birth worker so reach out if you're interested. Find out more and apply via the link in the show notes. Hi, Fiona, and welcome to the Natural Birth Podcast. How are you? you. I'm good. Thank you. Yeah, just about surviving with, uh, you know, newborn sleep. (laughs) Yeah, you have a three-week-old baba. I do. I do indeed. And a two and a half-year-old. So Yeah, wow. So that's a lot. It's quite full on at the moment, but it's wonderful at the same time. Well, I'm so Um, grateful that you're here to share your stories with us. Thank you for having me. Um, It's been, I can't tell you how kind of amazing your podcast was as I prepared myself for the second pregnant, uh, the second birth. Um, It totally like got me in the zone and felt so prepared and ready for it. Just listening to all of these amazing women talk about their free births and their home births and like so empowering it's amazing so thank you (laughs) pleasure that's exactly why we're doing it yeah exactly (laughs) so happy that you're coming on and adding on to this positive birth narrative you know we're changing the world exactly at a time (laughs) (laughs) I literally will talk to anyone about home birthing I'm like you've got to do home birthing it's all the way got to do it you've got to do it Um, but yes I love that. I love that. So with no further ado, let's actually do what we're here to do. So, yeah, you know, you're such an advocate now to home births, but your first wasn't a home birth, was it? No, no, he wasn't. So he was born um, January 2021. Um, and he, so he was conceived during COVID lockdown. Um, he was a surprise. <laughs> we weren't quite planning him. Um, but he, yeah, so it was kind of the most amazing thing to be pregnant during COVID. I think it was like a kind of positive thing to look forward to, although a lot of the things weren't available to us, you know, um, especially once the lockdowns happened, you weren't able to do, you know, pregnancy yoga as easily or, you know, reflexology and all those kinds of things. So I felt like I'd missed out a little bit on that, my pregnancy, but, um, as we were preparing for, 
the birth. We did do a lot of hypnobirthing, an online course, and I was doing pregnancy yoga online as much as I could. And I really wanted as natural a birth as possible. And we had looked into doing home birth then, but at that time we were living in a one bed flat and also trying to move. So it wasn't really possible. (laughs) There was just no space. Um, So we went for a a midwife led clinic, which I was pretty happy about. Um, I was slightly conscious that the hospital we were going to to only had two rooms. Um, But yeah, just hopeful that it would happen. But then with the second wave of COVID in the UK, um we I was constantly kind of checking up as to what the situation was at the hospital and and you know what was going to be available to us was our partner were our partners going to be able to be in the birth with us or are we going to have to wear masks in the birth like all these horrible things that you look back and you go how why how and why were women put through that mm-hmm. not to have your birth partner like potentially there with you is just oh. It's horrendous, it's horrendous, and against human rights, and it's so violating. It's it's so. Oh, it gives me like negative goosebumps here. I'm just, I have the chills. Um, just how women were treated around the world. It was really everything yeah. should never be done alone, like with strangers. That strangers. Just, oh, it breaks my heart that someone yeah. had to go through that. Yeah. So I was constantly kind of checking up as to what was going to be available to us. And um, then he was ended up being nearly two weeks late. So we, he was due on the 5th of January or 4th of January. And then, um, then they offered me a sweep at week 40, which I was like, no, I don't want to sweep. I want it to, I want to wait for it to all kick off naturally. And then at 41 weeks, they offered me a sweep again. I was like, no, I want it to happen naturally. And then they threw the induction bomb on me. Um, I really, really didn't want to be induced. Um, and my midwife was like, okay, well, you need to go and speak to a consultant to offer like so she can offer you, you know, tell you what your options are. And the consultant was like, okay, well, you either come in, um, get the induction, then you can go home again if you get if you have it before 42 weeks. If you go over 42 weeks, you have to be an inpatient. And like that, those were the options. Excuse um, me. Um, and I that's was, not true. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Hello. There's and I was so I think also with COVID, because you're in that sort of slightly yeah. anxious state anyway. And I think I just went with it because I I was so nervous about what the consequences were if I did it. I really didn't want to be in an impatient and I really wanted to do as much as I could at home. And yeah, with COVID and everything. So I, I agreed to have an induction on 42, uh, 41 plus six. Um, but then I thought, no, you know what? I'm going to have a sweep. So I had a sweep on the Friday, 41 plus five, and that essentially kicked everything off, which, you know, it's still an intervention, yeah. but at least it felt like I was slightly more in control of it. Um so I called up the hospital on the Saturday morning and they said, oh, great, things are starting. But because you were still booked in for induction, we still want to see you today. And I was like, but why? My, like the surges, the contractions are happening. Why do I need to come in? And they were like, well, it's just, you know, we still need to keep an eye on you, make sure that the baby's okay. And I was like, oh, uh, yeah, exactly. It's just, 
PMs, policies, yeah. and just ticking boxes. Ticking boxes, exactly. It's, and I want anyone who listens to this, and I understand exactly where you were, and I'm so sorry you felt pressured, and I know the immense pressure women are on. It's mm-hmm. so hard to stand against. But it is utter BS. Yeah. And yeah. I, oh, and I just, oh, it makes me so furious. It makes me so incredibly angry that women are treated like this at the end of their pregnancy. Mm-hmm. It's destroying women's last weeks of pregnancy. Stress really and anxiety is. and thinking so about during the time clock. It's not true, ladies. Listen to me. It's not true. That's it. And like, how do you measure someone's, when someone, uh, when they, when the baby was conceived? Everyone's cycle is different. Yes. Um Everyone, you know, you can't it just, yeah. If it, now that oh. I know as well, I feel like I know so much more that um, I, I would have advocated for myself a lot more back then. Mm. And I thought that I was pretty prepared and pretty like on it, yeah. you know, with the hypnobirthing and everything and felt quite empowered. But looking back, I just. Oh, it it's just, you know, it's lovely, uh, you know, hypnobirthing, all these courses, but it's not enough when you're faced with the system. That's it. That's where you need a sacred birth. That's what it doesn't you need, Yeah. You need someone who knows. I have a lot of women who'll contact me at the end of their pregnancy for coaching and support because of all of this to navigate yeah. what is actually research saying, what is actually evidence-based truth. Because you know what? It's not the PMs and the freaking policies. Yeah. I'll tell you that. <laughs> so if anyone ever hits, you know, anywhere from, you know, 37 weeks to 42, 43 weeks, call me, like connect with me if you're facing the pressure and no one else will support you but you feel in your gut that you don't want to be induced i'm here for you just yeah FYI. yeah yes yes i'll be in your corner i'll give yeah. you all the oomph. <laughs> <laughs> um yeah so it was and we yeah the kind of surges kept on going and they were progressing pretty well and the, the hospital were like come in this afternoon give us a call and so I called them at like three and they said, okay, no, wait, call us back and we'll hopefully get you in for like six, seven. So we were like, okay, fine, let's just go in. And by then the surgeries were like pretty consistent, um, but I was managing it. Uh, and then we got to the hospital and then obviously immediately it's like a vaginal examination. And she was like, you're two centimeters. And then we need to put a CTG on you. And I was. I was like, why do I need to? And so I was there on my back going through contractions for 40 minutes. And in my head, I'm like, why, why do I need, why do I need to do this and treat like, why am I on my back in the most uncomfortable position? I'm not really allowed. I just don't feel like I can move. The woman was like really impersonal, just very kind of, you know, not kind of. And with your first child, you just, Uh, I don't know you just I don't know yeah it was just not very nice basically and um obviously the baby was absolutely fine um and then she was like "Mm, so your options are you can either stay here uh but I can't check you for another four hours or you can go home but it looks like you can't you're not really coping um maybe you need pain relief um but then it is COVID so maybe you should go home and I was just like do you know what I'm gonna go home I'm going to go home. I'm going to have a bath. Yeah. Um, I just, just did not want to be there. Um, so we left and then our car wouldn't start. So we had to get a taxi home, which was also horrible. 
Um, so I went home and then I started using the TENS machine and things sort of picked up again. Um, but it was good to be at home. Uh, and, you know, we were doing all the hypnobirthing stuff and lots of kind of like dancing and moving through it and, um, yeah, listening to music and all that kind of stuff. And then um, around midnight, my husband was like, OK, I think maybe we should try and get some rest. And I was like, I'm not going to be able to get any rest. But we got into bed anyway. And then as soon as I lay down, I started like almost convulsing. So I feel like that looking back now, I wonder if it was like heading towards transition. So I was like, we need to go to hospital. Um, So thankfully we had my car that I share with my siblings. So we were able to, we had a car there. So managed to get to the hospital, like slowly made my way in. And by that point I was already like mooing. It was quite, you know, quite quite a lot. And I and the, got to the reception. The woman's like, okay, can I have your medical like um, booklet? And I'm just there, like, can't even speak. It's like, really? You need this? You know, just get oh. me in there. Isn't and they still get me to triage. Just, I think this is just, you think, yeah. you think someone would wake up and go like, we shouldn't treat birthing women like this? No, like, We shouldn't it. be talking to them about paperwork when they're like. Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> it's just, you think any logical person would go like, hmm, something's wrong with the maternity <laughs> system. But no, everything this is perfectly fine. Like, I, yeah. just, I just cannot believe that this is the reality of our maternity system. It really is. The world. It's just, yes. This episode is sponsored by Needed, a beautiful woman-owned leading women's health supplement brand. I just love that Needed was founded by two mamas who were shocked when they realized that 95% of women who actually take a prenatal vitamin have nutrient deficiencies. So they teamed up with a group of perinatal nutrition and health experts to redesign the prenatal vitamin and other supplements women need. And their products are based on the latest clinical research and in-practice experience of nearly 4,000 practitioners. Needed has all your needs covered, from your prenatal vitamin to pregnancy-specific pre- and probiotics, to egg quality support, sleep, stress and hydration support, as well as your protein needs for blood sugar balance and postpartum healing. Needed's complete plan delivers unparalleled nourishment for every phase, whether you are thinking, trying, pregnant or in your postpartum or deeper into your mama years. Get optimal nutrition and save 20% off your first order with the coupon code the natural birth podcast. Go to thisisneeded.com via the link in the show notes which gives you the automatic discount on their website. So then they got me into triage again. She tracked, she obviously had to track me because, you know, that's what they do. Oh, they and can't trust nine. you. Oh, no. no they can't not. look at you and go, no, like, exactly. Hmm, go, oh, here's yeah, someone she's, she's sounding like, birth. looking yeah. like, showing all the signs of being. That's yeah, it. And when I, you know, when I listen to your podcast and you hear midwives talking about they, they just, they shouldn't, they don't need to track you. They could just observe you. Yeah. Oh, no, none of that. It was like, let's do a vaginal exp- um, examination. Oh, you're nine centimeters. So in the space of like, less than four hours I've gone from two to nine mm. and yeah because I was at home funny that um 
Yeah. <laughs> and, and so then women they are not linear because you yeah. can, you know, they you don't. Can, you can even as a formula. Mom, yeah, you can open up from one centimeter to ten in an hour, or it can take you ten days. That's like it. we are not linear; we are unique human beings. And yes, it's so frustrating. Um, so then they finally, uh, let me, yeah, kind of, um, got me into the ward. And then, um, my husband was downstairs. He still wasn't allowed up, but they were like, the baby's coming. So I had a midwife and she was really lovely. Um, she'd read my birth plan and was like, kept, you know, dim the lights, the music and all of that. Um, but my husband had been in the car and had, uh, fallen asleep. So, <laughs> <laughs> because when I'd been in triage previously, I'd obviously been there for a long time. So this time he was like, okay, it's going to be ages. I'm just going to close my eyes. And I couldn't call, I couldn't get hold of him. So, yeah. So I was surprised. The brother was like, is he on his way? Because I think it's close. Um, but couldn't, couldn't get hold of him. And I think it was only about half an hour or so. Um, but finally he came up. So that was good once he was there. And then we were trying lots of different positions. It was really, I was felt like I was really progressing, but I think my waters hadn't broken properly. So I was trying to birth like the, um, the sack first. And, um, it literally like, apparently it was out of my vulva as like a little water balloon. Yeah. Yeah. I've seen that plenty of like, times. Yeah, it's amazing. Yeah, and some babies amazing. will be born in that, you know, it won't, it won't burst until the whole baby comes. Yeah. Out. So um, anyway, so yeah, I was kind of bearing, bearing down on all this stuff and it felt like it was progressing really well. Um, and they kept like moving positions and then they were because, and I had gas and air and they were, and I was drinking quite a lot of water because it was drying out my mouth. So they were worried that my bladder was too full. So then they said that they wanted to put a catheter in. So they did that. And then it just doesn't, it didn't, it felt like I was with all of this, you know, I'd started my contractions at 11 p.m. on the Friday night. And then this was, you know, early Sunday morning. I think I was just running out of energy. And um, they tried different positions, you know, like sitting on a birthing stool and being on four fours on the bed and then sitting on the loo and all this stuff. And then I think she was she was quite a young midwife. Um, and I wonder now, looking back, like whether... I don't know whether she was slightly inexperienced perhaps, or I'm not sure, but then suddenly the senior midwife came in um, because they felt like I wasn't progressing enough. Um, Yeah. So then she kind of got, I can't quite remember, but I think she kind of got involved. And then suddenly it felt like these positions weren't working. So then they got a consultant in Oh my! Suddenly, God. I got consultant, and then we were doing like event. I was on my back with my legs in stirrups, and they were using a ventus to try and get him out. And it would just it suddenly like escalated really quickly. And I remember, and then and then they were like, "I think it needs to be forceps." So it really progressed, like it, it kind of escalated really quickly. And suddenly, the room was like the lights went out. The, the room was full of people, and my husband at this point was like, "Are you sure you want to do this?" with the forceps and the, you know, the, the episiotomy. And at that point I was like, I just want it out of me. And I think they, they just kind of worn me down so much and didn't give me time to, because 
it takes like if the baby's okay which he which he was mm. i should have been given time because sometimes it does slow down for a little bit yeah. and you just need you know looking back on my second birth now you just need those moments to just allow the yeah. person to breathe and like re you know kind of recenter and then it will go again like it's not okay one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten centimeters. Okay, then it goes down. Then it's you know you transition, you birth, and you bear down, and then you get you give birth, and it's all perfect. It's like it's not like you say it's not linear. Um. So yes, by that point, I was just like, go for it, just get it out. <laughs> I don't, I don't want to have to. I can't. I haven't got the energy to advocate for myself anymore. My husband is trying to advocate for me but there's only so much he can do when suddenly you're surrounded by medical people who are telling you if you don't push on this but on this if he doesn't come out on this push you're gonna have to have an emergency c-section that's what the consultant told me which looking back i go if you could if the head is crowning and you just can't get out why would i have an emergency c-section because he's surely too far down the birth canal like i don't you know it's all of these, it was, I feel like it was real scare tactics to try and get me to just, so yeah, I, yeah, it was not, in the end, it was not anything like we wanted. Yeah, that's a thing, in hospital, you're on a timeline, even though that's That's collapsing, and usually around the world, that is for a first time mom, it's two hours. Yeah. Some places it's shorter than that. And after that, the senior midwife, the midwifery manager, the doctor needs to be called, which, but there's no pathology, right? But that's, it's pathologized. Some women can be pushing for hours and hours and hours. And you know what, you know, so I I teach women who want to be sacred space holders for birth, right? Mm -hmm. And one thing that I tell all my mentees is that there is absolutely no time for any stage. It's about a woman and the baby. Are they holistically fine? Fine. And you, and this whole thing about changing positions, if a woman is left fully to trust her body and herself and the process, she will get into the positions that she needs in order to birth that baby. Yeah. So you can, as a space holder, whether that is the midwife, the doctor, a sacred birth advocate, whoever, if you tell her to do things, she will look at you as an expert and listen to you above herself because that's how in labor and birth, you're, you're that impressionable. You just are so vulnerable. You're you so are, perfect. yeah. You're so, it's the most powerful, but also the most vulnerable you'll ever be. 100%. And so if an expert or perceived expert outside of you says, oh, you should go and do this. You should do this. Put your leg up like this. Lie down like this. You're just going to follow because you're going to, mm-hmm. you know, assume that unfortunately that they know better, but actually when you're really in the physiology, when you're really in your birthing realm, you, your baby will tell you, they'll nudge yeah. you, oh, put like a, like this or go on all fours. Like I, I've watched women in the depth of birth. They just move in different positions. They know they do the birth dance mm-hmm. and you're, you should just hold space for that. You should not interfere. And what happened for you, first of all, just moving to the hospital is a big interference. Right? Yeah. Had you stayed in your birth bubble at home in your bed there, you probably would have had your baby. Yeah, I can play hours and definitely not in that manner. But this is what happens, especially if you walk in just you and your partner. And I just want to say that for anyone, if if you feel like you need to for some sort of medical reason or you want to birth in hospital, you need an advocate. You cannot walk into that space. You need like a a human rights lawyer with you. Yeah. Someone who knows their shit. Yeah. (laughs) You know? And it's yeah. 
That's it. That's it. And I, yeah, I think it's been really interesting, like going through my second birth, I feel like it's allowed me to really deal with that, you know, the difficult situation, like, or the trauma that we went through. Um, Because it was, you know, I think trauma is such a funny word. It's such a triggering, triggering word, isn't it? Uh, I think, and trauma makes it sound so intense and so like full on, but actually it kind of was. Yeah. (laughs) And, and, you know, I've recovered now, but it wasn't really until the second birth that I've, I felt like I've really processed it and it's allowed me to process it and it's been really healing um, and amazing. Um, but yes, after he was born, he was fine. He was really healthy. And and then they gave me a, a pessary of declofenic, which it turned out I was allergic to. Um, so I came out in this horrible rash. So then I had to have steroids. And so I was in the hospital for two nights, um, which was horrendous. And hor- yeah, just horrible in COVID. It was really hot in there. And then I ended up having a heat rash. And, you know, it was just awful. Uh, and then the recovery from an episiotomy, I really found hard. I find any kind of like thing that happens to my body, I find it quite hard to like not being able to move my body in the way that I want to. I find it quite difficult to, yeah, it really kind of affects me psychologically and emotionally. So the recovery I found quite difficult and that, you know, the midwives talking to them and over the phone when they came, when they asked, you know, to check in and stuff, because obviously so much happened over the phone rather than in person. They were really worried about like postnatal depression and the baby blues and all that kind of stuff. And yeah, it just took me a long time to like deal with that, having to sit on a donut cushion for ages. And and then and my son had a tongue tie. So it was like with feeding and it was all just a bit of a mess in COVID when no one can really help you. Mm. So yes, that was him. Mm. And I mean he's he's absolutely amazing, but that was the start of our journey, which was you know, you look back and you go, that's quite full on. That is fun. and not the and not the easiest way to to launch your life together. That's it, you know. And this is what most mamas will have as their first. Yeah. This is considered a normal birth in our society, you know. Mm-hmm. And a lot of women will have your experience yeah. and will think, thank God I was in the hospital because I yeah. could push my baby out. That's it. But you realized that it was actually what happened around you yeah. caused that birth. And I love yeah. that we're going to dive into your next birth now. And yes. I really want to also like emphasize that for most women, because I work a lot with birth trauma healing, right? I get contacted mm-hmm. from, and women like anywhere from, you know, just had their baby this year to like 60-year-olds. Like I think mm. the oldest one was close to her 70s that I actually had a birth trauma healing with. Like this wow. is something that women carry, right? And um. And a lot of the healing actually happens when they have a redemptive birth. Like you can, you know, do a lot of birth trauma healing and it does help because you start to feel it, you witness it, you you meet the parts of you that needs to be met in in what happened. Um, But it's that second birth or third or whatever it is for that woman where she actually fully feels like she was owning every step of the way and it doesn't necessarily mean oh she goes on to have a natural birth she might have a redemptive birth and it still is there's some medical intervention of some Mm -hmm. sort but she chooses every step she's in control of that she's not the power is not taken away from her it's like 
she's in and I think that's the biggest thing about trauma is that you feel out of control or, or that something is taken yeah. away from you yeah mm. yeah definitely and there's kind of like a weird guilt that surrounds it as well that you didn't fight for yourself enough or you didn't Ugh. you know you didn't have the birth that you really hoped for um which is just ridiculous like shouldn't we shouldn't be feeling guilty as women no. when it comes to things like that you just shouldn't oh it's nearly impossible to fight for mm. yourself in labor and birth first of all you shouldn't and yeah. second of all you're not in capacity of that especially if you're in the liminal active birthing phase like you yeah. are actually in between worlds you are there navigating intense you know sensations in your body but you're also going off to collect your baby like you are not yeah. in your neocortex and you're no. not making rational decisions no so no like anyone listening if you've ever had a tyrannic birth do not blame yourself because at this yeah. point in time that is why picking your birth team is everything who's going to be at your birth you know yeah, yeah. use your partner you know a support person a midwife whoever mm. Are you ready to join me and others in being a part of the movement of the reclaiming of birth as a rite of passage and as a woman's sacred business? I'm calling you who recognizes birth as a sacred portal and a life-altering event worthy of honoring and safeguarding. You who want to walk alongside women through her rite of passage from maiden to mother and provide a safe, sacred and physiological birth space. Here's your invitation to join me and other women from around the world in the Sacred Birth Worker Mentorship Program, becoming a sacred birth advocate and space holder, the Beyond a Doula Training, starting in January 2024. It's a full year's container of learning, embodying, and deepening into a true space holder and sacred advocate for a woman's rite of passage of birth. By weaving ancient and modern knowledge of her story, women's wisdom, physiological birth skills, and the art of sacred space holding, as well as diving into the variations of normal, medicalized birth, birth advocacy within the current unnatural maternity system and so much more this program is unique to its kind in its depth and how deep we go and also that i offer you one-on-one mentoring with me personally assisting you in becoming the clear channel and the best space holder that you can be You will be so held and so nurtured and so supported for a whole year inside our worldwide online community as you learn and embody the teachings and skills and start sharing your gifts with the world. If your intuition is ringing clear as you receive this invitation, find out more and apply at thenaturalbirthcourse.com or via the link in the show So then like with our second, where do I start? <laughs> so we, yeah, we had this, we had, so I, I changed hospital was the first thing. Um, the first thing was like, I do not want to go back to that hospital. Um, I'm sure they do. People have really positive birth experiences there, but I just don't, I just can't go back. So we changed hospital and we moved by that point anyway. So um, we were under kind of a different uh yeah uh so that that was good and then um 
I had ultrasound at 20 weeks and I had a low-lying placenta, which is perfectly normal. But then they said, we still want to see you at 30, around 30 weeks. So I went back 30 weeks um, and the consultant said, yes, it's low-lying. And in my opinion, it's not going to move by the time um, your baby's due. I was like, okay. So he's like, you're probably going to need an elective C-section. So right. Okay. Why don't you come back at 33 weeks and um, we'll see how it's going. And I already had another ultrasound at 36 weeks. I was like, okay, fine. 33 weeks. It was like 15 millimeters away from my cervix. So still too close. So we were then, uh, they booked in a, a C-section and at thir- then they said at 36 weeks, we'll see how it's doing. And then um, we'll go from there. So the the C-section was booked in for the 21st of July. Um, and at 36 weeks, it was 40 millimetres away. Wow. So it had moved from zero to mm-hmm. 40 millimetres in six weeks. And it needs to be really over to like 25. Yeah, 2.5 um, centimetres. Really, yeah. 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 So um, so for the from up to 36 weeks, I had been preparing for a c-section so I'd done no form of like I'd done no pregnancy yoga I'd done nothing to open up my body I had been researching a lot about um, c-sections about like natural you know making it as wonderful and natural as possible like as yeah as kind of natural as I could um and then suddenly at 36 weeks we were like oh (laughs) we're not having a baby in a week Uh, I need to I need to 180 this uh, and totally shift my mental um, attitude and like process so hence why I went into the podcast I went to a podcast hole yeah I love that (laughs) and my husband and I uh, with our first we like briefly talked about home birth but as I said we're in a one bed flat so this but this time I was like I think I want home birth and my husband was like hang on we haven't really talked about this and I said, no, we, we have briefly, but now I just, I kind of feel like, I feel like I need to do a home birth. And he was suddenly like, what? Um, okay. I feel, you know, understandably, as often is the case with your partner, um, hospital safest. And with our first, you know, thank goodness we were in hospital because okay. he got stuck and that meant that we needed interventions, okay. you know, that whole narrative that's how you um, saw it, yes. And which is totally understandable. And, you know, yeah. where we have both been um, previously to needing research. Um, but I said, okay, just listen to this podcast and read this book, this chapter of this book, and then we'll we'll come back to it. And he did. And he was like, let's do a home birth. And he, you know, all the research says, especially for second-time mums, it is safer for the mum and as safe for the baby to be at home um and my friend had had uh tried what had had a home birth so she had a birthing pool that we were able to borrow and I was doing lots of yoga suddenly like a lot more and I just it was just yeah lots of bouncing on the ball and you know all of the stuff Clary Sage and everything um but it was it was amazing that he was so supportive and you know willing to go with it because it is such it is an ask it is not an ask but it is a big kind of responsibility for both people 
or your birthing team to have it at home because you have to be organized and you have to make sure everything's like there and you know um and he was absolutely he was amazing at kind of preparing for the for the both of us I think um, the most important thing is that it you know it is important that your partner is aligned with wanting to mm-hmm. birth was too because you will feel his fear otherwise exactly anxiety. and but and you know, that will affect your person just as well as being in the hospital having that coming from doctors nurses midwives or or you know institution but before we go on to that home birth I just really yes. want to just stop on on this point of like ultrasounds right and uh, oh yeah <laughs> have they yes. can cause right yeah because if anyone's listening now and, you know, you go at your 20-week ultrasound if you opt in for that because everything's a choice to you, right? All the ultrasounds are just offers. You don't have to do anything. But if you want to do the 20-week uh, scan and they find, oh, it's a low-lying placenta. For anyone listening who doesn't know what that means, it just means that the placenta is very close to the opening of your cervix. And yeah. so if it's too close, the risk is that when you start dilating, you know, that will affect the placenta and there can be a, you know, bleed, there can be a separation of the placenta, it can cause, mm-hmm. you know, that's really fatal, right, to your baby especially. So it's an important thing, you know, not to have a really low-lying placenta. But say you pick that up at 20 weeks. I would just say, well, do one an, an ultrasound then at 34 to 36 weeks. You don't have to do anything in between. And you don't have to yeah. fear it because 99% of the time, I'm just saying that that might not be actually the statistics, but like, you know, most of the time, like it's a really high chance, very, very low chance of it not moving, but high chance that it will move out of the way. So by yeah. that time, it's going to be moved out of the way. Now they did, they brought you in, silly enough, earlier. I know it's weird. I don't really know why. I mean, we did have, so my first ultrasound, you know, the classic 20, 12 weeks scan, um, I didn't have till 13 plus five, six. So really late. And they couldn't measure the baby because it was too big. Um, So I had to come back at like 14 weeks. And then they, then they'd also met, it meant that because they pushed my ultrasound so late, I couldn't have the Downs, Patty and Edwards syndrome test either. Um, so they could only do the Down syndrome in a meant and then it came back high, like high risk. So uh, then, then it went back for a week later and had a harmony test and it was negative. It was like a low risk that chance that I'd have, that the baby would have Downs. But I think then suddenly we were in the consultant section. We were in the like, yeah. and so suddenly it became more medicalized do you see what I mean so then in a way it was kind of a positive thing because you kind of go oh we're having consultants doing our ultrasound but at the same time it just meant that we were in the system a lot more and suddenly having to go to the hospital a lot more frequently um and it was all fine in the end but and I think it's also important to just know that you know when it comes to ultrasound there is no evidence or research saying that is not harmful Yeah, And, you know, we have a culture today where you just do it nilly willy. You know, actually the biggest uh, ultrasound institutions around the world are all saying that if it's not for a medical reason, you know, it can be more harm than good. Mm. Doing Mm. it very, very often nowadays. In some countries, it's like every appointment, every second appointment. It's mad. And that is, there's been no safety testing on that. Yeah. And the whole to have like 3D... Yeah, that's some things that people get. I find that I mean, each to their own. Um, yeah, but well, I you just... need to know that it's not not 
like risk free. It's definitely not risk free. Mm. And if you want to do those things, do your research and you know, due diligence on yeah. on it because you are exposing your baby mm. to yeah. something that potentially could harm it. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Um so yes. So Second. now you're yes. Now you're into the home. Now we're ready to the home. Birth. Okay. So you're are you 36 weeks at this point now? 37 weeks starting to 37. Plan? Yeah. Oh. 36 37 weeks. So we're kind of prepping as much as we can and yeah, I, I was listening to your podcast daily. Oh <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> daily and I loved hearing from all over the world, you know, all the different from, you know, New Zealand to the States and how different this medical systems are. It's just fascinating. Anyway, that's a side note. Um, <laughs> um, so, yeah, we started to do, I started to obviously kind of physically prepare a lot more. And then um, in the back of my mind, I still had the fear of being induced. And I was like, I really don't want to be induced. My first was two weeks late. Um, it's the second baby and they will, I know that they will want to induce me earlier if, if it goes too, too, too late. Um, so then I was re I was listening to a lot of the podcasts about induction and women that have babies, you know, 42 plus three and mm. like all that kind of stuff. And, and my due date had changed anyway. Um, initially I thought it was the 15th of August with my cycle, but they'd said with the size of the baby at the ultrasound, it was the 10th of August, like. <sighs> whatever like th those five days would make such a massive difference as well yeah. like if I went 42 plus five but actually it could be do you know what I mean it could yeah. that could be when it's due yeah anyway and the thing is some babies they their normal is 43 weeks yeah and, and then just... if you evict them at 41 that's two weeks early yeah you know we actually don't know like even if doctors say that or whatever, we don't know what kicks up labor. What we mm. do know is that everything's pointing to both the mother and the baby being ready, especially the baby sending chemical messages to the That's mom it. saying, yeah. I am now fully ready to be birthed. And mm. the mother also needs to prepare herself with her hormones and her receptors yeah. in her body to actually ultimately be able to birth. And that's why yeah. there's so many women who, who go through failure to progress and failure, you know, of yeah. induction, right? failure to progress. I just hate oh. that phrase. Yeah, because it's not. It's the medical system trying to induce when a mother and baby actually weren't ready. Mm. So they go for days with failed induction until finally, they, you know. Oof, yeah, yeah. I, I, it's horrible. But what what I loved about this time, you know, not being in COVID was that I was able to do a lot of the like I was able to do reflexology and massage and acupuncture and my acupuncturist was, was so wonderful you know just she'd sort of helped us a little bit with fertility and then I was seeing her every week from 37 weeks and it was just especially having a two and a half year old it was wonderful like sacred time for myself to focus on this baby and to really mentally prepare and just like tune in and assess where my body was um and to have that this time was really precious I think um so get to my due date which was the 10th of August um <laughs> My husband breaks his toe uh, and <laughs> I was having a nap at the time. And uh, yeah, he breaks his toe. We have to rush to A&E and suddenly my body's filled with adrenaline. <laughs> I was like, this is not going to come. It's not going to come. It's not ready. It's not going to come yet. I'm not ready. We're not ready. 
Um, so he's, yeah, he's in the hospital. He gets home. And whilst he's at the hospital, I have an acupuncture session and a massage. And I decide that we're going to get a doula. Now I'd wanted, and I had researched a lot about doulas or even independent midwives. We can't afford an independent midwife. It's too much money, but a doula was possible. And it was something that I was really interested in. And, um, you know, having, like you say, your birth team and someone to advocate for you. And also just, I think if you have someone who is there to support you, but doesn't necessarily have, isn't a member of your family. And I, uh, so there isn't that sort of baggage and you're not, you're not kind of carrying, you know, worrying about what they're feeling or thinking or whatever. You're just someone who's separate and can totally be there and advocate for you um but we hadn't gone for down the doula route just because I think initially with the c-section and then yeah I'm not really I'm not really sure why but with when my husband broke his I was like we we need someone if we're having a home birth you can't be running up and down the stairs to, to get more towels or you know oh we need to get this quickly we just need someone there to support us um and it was the best decision we did and she thankfully we found someone who was available and she was amazing and she was so supportive and able to you know give advice and check in on us and suggest you know do some spinning baby stuff and all that kind of thing as we were preparing um and so once my husband's accident sort of calmed down um I kind of was able to get back into the zone and um Yes, I had acupuncture uh, 41 weeks and that essentially kicked everything off. She put some needles in my back and it was like, oh, twinging still in that evening. I was like, oh, it's still achy, kind of like period pain. I was like, oh, this is this different. Um, and especially because last time I had a sweep, I wasn't sure how it would start kind of naturally. You see what I mean? Without an inter an intervention um and the thing is you but, will never know if you were you were going to go into labor that day anyway without yeah sweep. you would never know that I don't, yeah, and exactly. you most likely would have because yeah. a, a sweep is not that powerful mm. i'll tell you that yeah and then to throw another spanner in the works my mum was supposed to look after my first and take him away as soon as anything started However, she had an operation on that day um, that was supposed to go very smoothly and she was going to be discharged that evening. And, you know, she'd had a similar operation six years ago and had been very kind of easy, as it were. However, there was like a slight complication, which meant she had to stay in hospital. So that evening I went to go and collect her um, and realised that she was going to need to stay in hospital and I was about, to, I was starting to go into labor. So <laughs> another spanner in the works. Um, but thankfully my sister was there and she was going to look after my mom, but instead she ended up looking after my first um, and helping my husband. So it was kind of like another situation of, you know, adrenaline, but we were here, like things were starting. We were on the train. Um, <laughs> um, this baby was coming. So that was the Thursday evening. And then Friday, I was like, well, maybe it will, maybe they'll come this evening. Who knows? Um, my son was at nursery. 
um, and you think, oh, they're out the house, things will start. You know, when your first is out the house, that's like, oh, this is when things will start. No, they was progressing. The surges were progressing. They were quite inconsistent, but I was managing it. Um, and then nothing happened. Like it continued Friday night. They were still inconsistent. I was able to rest, which was really good. I was able to get snatches of sleep, you know, kind of half an hour or so in between surges. And then it was a Saturday. So my first was going to be around. So my husband and my sister took him out basically for the whole day to give me time to just like try and get in the zone and relax. No, things were still really inconsistent. And I was talking to my doula and she was giving us, you know, exercises to do and nothing seemed to be going. And I was, she suggested putting like Clary Sage, um, you know, in with oil and rubbing it on my tummy and try and have a bath and try and doing lots of different things. But I was slightly getting, I was kind of getting frustrated. Um, because I think in my head as well, you know, with a second birth, it's supposed to be slightly quicker. That was the, you know, that's the kind of tradition. But I just kind of had to accept that my early stage labor was just going to take as long as it was going to take. Um, And then Saturday night, of course, he went to bed. My doula suggested I do the miles routine, which is the three miles circuit. Thank you. Um, And that was amazing. And that really um, got me in a zone. And I, I went to bed and they were coming sort of every 15 minutes. So still, you know, quite far apart, but they were really getting so much more intense and then at about half past 11 I went to the loo and then suddenly one came after three minutes and then they were really consistent like every three minutes um and I said to my husband I was like I think it's starting I think we're kind of getting there finally Um, finally yeah right it's like every baby has its own journey and yeah yes most of the time second time around it it's half the time but for some it's not and that baby has its own timeline and maybe that acupuncture was like okay let's kick things in for your body but they was like no not ready yet yeah exactly exactly (laughs) my birth imprint is not on that page you know who knows I'm comfortable in this position I don't want to get in the right position yet um so yeah so then we spoke to the doula and she said um okay just wait a little see you know wait till they're a little bit more consistent and then call the midwives so we went downstairs and I'm we made the nest so it was one cat it was like a candle and I was on my I was like leaning over my birthing ball and I was playing this um sound of this um album that I'd heard when I'd had a massage by this band this yeah called beautiful chorus and I absolutely loved it when I heard it so I was having that in the background and was just really breathing through the surges and um it was a really amazing to be at home and to know you don't need to go anywhere and um we then called the midwives and they were half an hour away so that we knew that they were on the way and my doula arrived and she was amazing doing kind of acupressure stuff and immediately was like you need to fill the birth pool (laughs) so my husband was that on that and you know because she could hear from my sounds and what what, how I was moving that she knew it was closer than it was close enough to get the water going like ASAP um the water running as, as quickly as possible and I was able to just because you know you don't need to go anywhere you're able to just focus inwards and I was I think in some podcasts I've been listening about 
kind of leaning into the pain or the, the pressure as opposed to, you know, hypnobirthing often I think it can be like forms of trying to distract yourself away from it. Yeah. But instead I really focused in and I could really feel my cervix, like the, the pressure of the head on my cervix. And I could feel, and I imagined, I remember the podcast about the jellyfish, the woman who looked at jellyfish or something. She was like, had a video of jellyfish and that movement really helped her. But this idea of opening, and I was thinking, I used the imagery of like flowers and like particularly like red dahlias kind of opening and blooming and opening and blooming. And that I found so helpful, like the imagery of just kind of breathing into my cervix opening and just really imagining it opening and relaxing and that was a game changer really just kind of focus that focus inwards and the breath I think the breath is so important you know as an actor your breath and your body as an instrument is all you have and you know with with yoga and everything like that I think your breath is your biggest tool and just making sure that I was, you know, and it's giving your body oxygen in this really intense physical experience, you know, yeah. birth is, it's a marathon. It is like a, you have, I really believe you need to like physically prepare for it. It's not, yeah, yes, yeah, it's, it's kind of, yeah. So um, really focusing on just opening and the the image of my cervix moving from you know facing backwards to facing down and all of that I found so helpful um and and then once the mid I think once the midwives I, I think they could sense that it was really close that I was starting to like want to push a little bit um so this was like one o'clock in the morning so it was quick <laughs> um and she was like, is the water ready? And then she said, you know, do you want to move to the pool if it's ready? Or, you know, you seem to be progressing quite well here. She was, but she was really, I said, I want to be in the pool. So, um, but she was amazing. The mid- midwife, you know, there was no vaginal examination. There was no, there was very little communication, like in terms of um, uh, not intervention, but kind of, you know, she was very hands-off. She did check the baby's heartbeat, but there was, you know, she really left me to it and she was just incredible. Um, and then when the birth pool was ready, I was like, yeah, I'm going. And I stood up and I had the most like intense pleasure, like pleasurable sensation that was, you know, I'd read when I, with my first about an orgasmic birth and I was, you know, after having my first, I was like, who the hell can have an orgasm when you, when you give that? Um, but when I stood up, I was like, wow. And I don't know whether it must have been like the pressure and the obviously the amount of blood that's in that area and the movement of walking, that it was like this amazing, pleasurable sensation that was kind of close to, you know, an, or, an orgasm. It wasn't an orgasm, but it was really close to those waves that you feel that I was totally not expecting. Um, but was very happy to experience. <laughs> um, so anyway, got into the pool and it was amazing. The most wonderful sensation as the water carries you. And, and I was very aware. I was like, I know this thing. I know. I remember saying, I know it might slow down, but this is so nice. <laughs> I know things might slow down, but this is so lovely. 
Um, so I got into the same position again on my knees and, and, um, and it did slow down, but it was, it was really wonderful. And we made sure that it was like dark and, and still music playing and everything there. And, um, and then, then I started feeling the sensation to push again. And then I changed position and I lifted one leg. So I was sort of one knee was up and then suddenly it, it, it really kicked off and I started really pushing and kind of bearing down. And, um, my way of life was just like, she, at one point I knew that I was, I was really kind of, when the sensation came, I felt, um, like I needed to, to work with it. Um, and my midwife just said, just let, just trust your body and let it do what it needs to do. You don't need to push with it. Just let your body do and use your breath and really breathe the sensation down. And that was the best advice she could have given me. So I just really continued to use my breath, not hold it and not like force and push, but just let my body do what it needed to do and trust it more essentially. Um, because I think that's the biggest thing, isn't it? Sometimes you think, oh, I need, I need to do this, but actually if you trust your body enough, it will do what it's made to do. She sounds um, like a very wise midwife. I'm so she was, yeah, she was just so, I was, we were so, so lucky to have her. And afterwards my dealer was like, oh, I hear Annette's coming. She's amazing. <laughs> um, so I was, yeah, we were really lucky. And then, yeah, once that happened and then when, when she said, um, it's, you know, with the stretching, she just said, don't just let it, just let it uh, give your bit, allow your baby to stretch you for you. Don't, don't push it. Just sh the baby will, you know, give yourself time. Um, and it was the most amazing experience to be able to feel her come down because obviously with the first, I'd had a local anesthetic with the episiotomy, so I couldn't feel anything when he came out. Um, but to feel every sensation and to feel her head come down through my birth canal and to feel the pressure and then the stretching was just incredible. Um, and then, yeah, she kind of came out to her chin, apparently. Um, and she said, just wait, the midwife, she was like, just wait um, until the next, um, you know, next uh, urge to push. There's no rush. So she was there, I think, out, you know, out like here, yeah. <laughs> just at the chin. And then the next urge came and I pushed and she just shot out. Yeah. And she said, okay, now you can pick up your baby. And I was like, oh my God, she's there in the pool. Mm -hmm. And I lifted her out and she was still in her sack. Um, so you got that. Uh, so you, would have, you would have had that the first time too had yeah. you not been intervened with yeah and yeah. you know that's really really, really rare lucky and yeah. rare and only really happens usually at um home births because yeah. you are you know given the space to move naturally authentically to your own birth dance and no one's you know intervening so oh my god yeah so I mermaid baby maybe exactly so what this is where her name has come from as well so uh, we pulled I pulled the sack off and then the midwife was like just what gently wiped down her face and then my doula like got it on video as well so you could see me pull the sack off um and I wiped down her face and it took her a while to kind of clear her lungs 
And then um, I checked what she was and she, it was a girl because we didn't know. And um, and then she latched. She was rooting really early and she latched like practically immediately. She was like, as soon as she started crying and then she was like nuzzling for my boob and latched really quickly, which was incredible. Like one of those, sucker, you know, we're like, oh my God, <laughs> there it is. Um, and that was just, yeah, so, so wonderful. And then I was able to birth my placenta naturally as well, which was sort of 40 minutes after. Um, and then I could just get out the pool and go into my front room and lie on the sofa and have tea and toast. I mean, it's just the most incredible thing. You know, that's what it should be. And then the second midwife was um, arrived and she was sort of late. And, and then my sister came down from upstairs because obviously she'd heard everything and wasn't able to get any sleep that night and saw me in the pool and, you know, saw my daughter minutes after she was born. And it was just incredible that she was there. Um, and then, yeah, so she was born at 2.56. Uh, and then I did need, I did have a second degree tear, but it was very minor and I had stitches and it was very kind of, you know, bearable, like compared to the episiotomy, it was absolutely nothing. Was it, um, and I've healed was really it, quickly. Was it where the episiotomy scar was? No, it wasn't. No. It was straighter, more towards my perineum. Yeah. Um, and... Yeah, just, I think, I think, you know, and then my husband, you know, helped them advise with their bags out as the sun came up and we were just there, the four of us. And you just think that's how it should be. Yeah. And it was just the most, yeah, incredible experience. And she, like I gave birth to her when this beautiful chorus song that I'd heard in the massage that I found so like inspiring had come back onto the playlist so I gave birth uh, to that song which was just like this is it as soon as the song came on I was like this is it it's gonna happen. <laughs> <laughs> um but we were so lucky I mean with the midwives teams at the hospital that we were at they were just incredible the home birth team and but we you know we were lucky we were lucky that they were on that night and yes. if it had been the night before the night after we wouldn't have been officially allowed a home birth mm-hmm. we, we would have officially had to have gone into the midwife-led clinic but then also there's part of me that would have been like maybe I'd have just stayed at home anyway yeah and then you know legally they still kind of have to send someone out don't they mm-hmm. I think or maybe you know I don't know I love the idea that I just had a free birth mm-hmm. and with my doula but yeah we were lucky that they were there and that we had the midwife that we did yeah. It was just incredible, you know. Yeah. I think you have to be, you know, to be a midwife on a home birth team on the NHS, you have to really believe in it. Yeah. Um, and I'm really grateful that we had we had them. Um, and it was just everything that we'd hoped for. And I genuinely believe that having that kind of birth that's so centered and where you are so present, it just sets you up for for the beginning of her life and for Mm. your you know your postnatal journey Mm. my journey has been so much calmer and I know that it's my second so I am more aware of you know what goes on and what's needed but that kind of birth that calmness that you know intuitive being as close to birth and what women can and should do has just totally set us up and it's been incredible. 
Like she is so calm. We are so much calmer. And that's, yeah, that's why I believe home births are uh, the way forward for everyone, if you can. It's a gentle transition for everyone involved. And it also is a, it just really shows you the power of yourself. And I think mm-hmm. it sets you up just the that embodied, true, lived experience that you are so capable. Mm. Like as a woman, as a mother, um, it's night and day, isn't it? From your first it really is. night and day. And I wish that women, you know, that's why I'm so grateful you're coming and I'm trying to scream this from the rooftops and people think I'm crazy because I'm like, it's crazy <laughs> talking about birth all the time. But, you know, I just wish that every woman knew the pos- possibility of a natural birth yeah on all the levels because it's not just birthing a baby physically and that everyone survives that should matter Mm. we're beyond that like Mm. everyone you know tends to survive today you know it's the biggest thing that killed uh, women and babies back in the day was sepsis right was just poor hygiene from everyone involved um no one talks about that everyone thinks that hospitals are saving people but it's not true it's not no and Everyone's so invested in that narrative. And I just really hope that everyone who's listening to this, share this everywhere, far and wide to all your friends and family. <laughs> and like, you know, be a advocate for natural birth. Like if yeah. you all dared to just speak of it, we need to speak of it. We mm. need to be, you know, and the reason why there's such resistance is because most women will have traumatic births. And mm. so it, it is just such a wound that if someone tells them, Mm. about a positive birth or a natural birth and the possibility of that it is so confronting that most people don't dare to speak of their positive birth stories because they don't want to offend or make someone feel bad but we need to stop doing this because it's perpetuating a narrative that is not true yeah 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 and I think it's I also don't you know you don't want to negate someone else's experience that they you know if they've had been in a hospital they've had a positive birth I'm not negating your experience um but uh, and also kind of there's an element of that I'm conscious of that talking about how positive the home birth was and in the water you know that it's it's being smug or kind of showing off that I was able to do it it was pain-free I had a home you know it was so magical and out of this world like it's not it's not about that it's just about spreading the message and you know I was able to my sister now is just like I'm what I want to have a home birth (laughs) you know it's just about changing the narrative that's it and changing the language around it and the other thing I wanted to mention is that there was also a true knot in her umbilical cord. Wow. So, yeah, which is just like also very rare. Mm. Um, and she's one lucky lady. So we've called her Nixie because that we were kind of, you know, with the mermaid birth, we were joking around, oh, maybe we should call her Ariel. <laughs> <laughs> but neither of us are like kind of huge Disney fans. And uh, and my husband kind of started googling and we came across the word nixie which mm. is like a germanic kind of folklore water sprite mm. wow. um and it felt feels yeah not not many people have heard of it so no, yeah. i love it kind of came totally out of nowhere it wasn't on our list of names but yeah she's called nixie now which is all because of her birth love that, <laughs> love that so much yeah 
So if you had a first time mama in front of you right now, who's yeah. about to have her first baby and she really wants to have a natural and empowering birth experience, mm-hmm. what advice and pearls of wisdoms would you give to her? Um, I would say trust your body. It knows what it's doing. And um, use your breath, I think. Your breath is your biggest thing. Um, it is so powerful and um, it centers you, it grounds you, it brings you oxygen and life and use it, mm. I would say. Mm. Yeah. And advocate, advocate, <laughs> get your birthing team. Yes. Um, yeah. I would say those are my pearls of wisdom. Beautiful. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. And thank you so work. much for having me. Amazing. And thank you again for all the work that you do. Thank you for listening. If you love this podcast, then please consider sharing it, leave a review or make a contribution on our Patreon page. And if you want to connect on social media, then find the podcast on Instagram as The Natural Birth Podcast. Thank you for listening.